Well, good morning again, church. If you have your Bibles, open up to uh, Revelation chapter 21 um, as we continue our series. Yesterday, as uh, I was leaving service for Amalu, I was feeling a little emotional, and I said, Amalu lived past 95, and I'm more emotional than her daughter was right now. What's going on? And I don't know if you ever have to do this, but I was looking at the dashboard of Dave's life metaphorically, and all the warning lights were on. And uh, so I started doing some diagnostics personally in my life, and man, I didn't sleep good the last couple nights with the grandkids. We had some other things going on, and and uh, it was a busy week. There's a lot going on, and so you're just kind of, I'm looking at all the lights: relational, spiritual, physical, you know. And uh, so I'm starting to. Th- walk myself through it, you skipped lunch, you didn't sleep well, you need some food, a nap, and you know, I'm kind of going through all this stuff. And as I was thinking about this, each of the issues that I was thinking about, a verse or part of the passage from the text this morning came to mind. As we look at heaven here in the last two chapters of Revelation, um, these are meant to be out there as a hope, as a light, as something to grab a hold of in the difficulties of this world. And uh, I was thinking about it. Um, growing up in a Baptist church, um, I've heard way more sermons on hell than I have on heaven. And uh, because of that, this was supposed to be the last Sunday of a Revelation series, but I've got a couple Sundays got to fill here to the end. And so we're going to do uh, Revelation 21 today and Revelation 22 next week. So we'll get two sermons on heaven. And there'll be some repeat in there, but I think it's, it's good. If we look at just a, kind of a wide overview here of the last two chapters of the Bible, um, in chapter 21, verses 1 through 8, John is focusing on the new heavens and the new earth. On 21, through the, uh, verse 9, through the end of the chapter, there's a new Jerusalem and a new temple that's being pictured. Uh, We're not going to talk about that in depth, although I'll I'll point to a few things as we're reading through it. And then in the next chapter, we have a new Jerusalem and a new Eden. Um, One of the things that we're supposed to be picking up here is some some Eden language that is in the last. In other words, uh, what is being restored. And then kind of ends with some blessings. And Maranatha. Uh, I grew up uh, in churches, and uh, Maranatha was a a brand for music. and so, pop quiz, just what does Maranatha mean? Come, Lord, come. That's what it means. It's from Revelation. So, we'll look at that next week. So, why is this here? Why are these, these chapters here on heaven? What, what are they here for? Just, just kind of glance at your Bible. We're in Revelation chapter 1. Just turn over a page to chapter 22. Let me just read a few verses in verses 12 and following uh, here. Jesus, behold, I'm coming soon bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and idolatries and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. These chapters are meant to give us hope. They're that thing that we're supposed to be holding on to as we get to the end. So in today's sermon, 
um, in a, we have hope in a God that fulfills his promises, in a God that loves us, in a God that brings recovery, in a God that makes all things new. So let's read chapter 21. As I said, we're going to focus on the first eight verses. I'll point out a few things in the second half of the chapter. These are just incredible words. May these be a blessing to you as you hear them this morning. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself uh, will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, nor Uh, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is second death. Then came out of the, uh, uh, came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues. And spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, come down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Its radiance was like most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as a crystal. It had had a great high wall with 12 gates and and the gates... Excuse me. And at the gates, twelve angels. And on the gates, the names of the twelve tribes of the son of Israel were inscribed. Uh, on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had the twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. I think this is fascinating to me, as it's describing this, this picture of this Jerusalem um, and you think about the storyline of the Bible, I would have thought that the tribes would have been the foundation, and then the apostles would be built on top of that because they came later. Notice this is reversed, um, which points to the center of the gospel in this story. Now, the gospel is the foundation. It's built upon the apostles, which then defines who Israel is, not the other way around. And so it's very gospel-centered in this description of the city. And then verse 15, and the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. I just was reading this again this morning, and I thought, hey, even the tools in heaven are made of gold, right? I mean, (laughs) measuring rod, who cares? But it's also made of gold. The city lies four square in its length, the same as its width, and it's measured the city with the rod, 12,000 stadiums. Look, this is just a huge, it's a huge, huge city that's coming down, okay? It's massive. 
Um, but there is something in here we're supposed to grab a hold of, and that is this, this measurement of the four square. Um, it's, it's equal on all sides. And there's only one other thing in the Bible that's measured this way. It's the Holy of Holies. And so what we are to picture here is the Holy of Holies that is coming. This whole city is the Holy of Holies. Okay? Um, and for us, reading as Westerners, most of us don't pick that up. We go, we're trying in our, we're trying in our, in our head to go, how big is this? It's really big. Okay? Um, how does that work? I mean, the walls are, look, it's supposed to be picturing something, which is what was stated above, which is that God is living with his people. Okay? Uh, verse 18, the wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundation of the wall uh, of the city adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second was sapphire, the third was a gate, the fourth was emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth uh, carlium, the seventh crystallite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz. Sorry, ladies, if I'm messing up your favorite jewel. The tenth, uh, I can't, I can't, the eleventh, uh, Jack. So you got all these different jewels. And you go, wow, that's a lot of jewels. You're looking at the, the wealth of the city, obviously, but we also have these, some, much of these mentioned in Eden. Okay, so we're seeing this uh, perfected here, okay? And Jasper and all this stuff. Verse 22, and I saw no temple in the city. Right, we just saw the temple come down. For the temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need for sun uh, or moon, to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kingdoms of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does, not, uh, does what is detestable or false, but only those Who's, who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This uh, verse 24 uh, has been, uh, um, uh, verse 25 has been taken out of context recently, saying, look, the gates of heaven are open and anybody can come in. The gates are open because it's safe. The reason you don't lock your doors is because you, you're not worried about somebody coming in. And it specifically says nobody's going to be in there that's whose name wasn't written in the book of life. So this isn't an everybody gets saved at the end verse, which some people want to use it that way. Um, so just very interesting. So we're, here we are. We're going to jump in these first eight verses here. And um, the first thing, this brings hope. And we have hope in a God that fulfills his promises. Uh, the teacher part of me needs to point this out to you because it's just in me. I can't help it. Um, each of these eight verses is either directly or indirectly quoting another verse. This is all fulfillment prophecy in here. And so we read this and we go, oh, this is really good stuff. It's all repeated. And so I want you to see that this morning. So let's look at what these promises are. And so on your notes, you've got a little chart there. And you can just write the verse in at the end. You don't write the whole verse, just the reference so you have it. Okay, so here we go. The first verse. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Um, let me just say a few things about that before we get, get the verse. Um, I know that if you grew up in the church for a long time, the picture always, at one point in time, God is going to destroy, he's going to burn up the entire earth and the new heavens, and he's going to create everything all over again. And I would just say, I don't think that's what it's saying here. And I know that most of you kind of grew up with that. I don't think that's what it's saying here. Notice verse 5, okay? He says, and he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. He doesn't say I am making a new thing. 
He says, I am making all things new. And I think what we have here is a recreation, not a total destruction and then new creation. And Randy Alcorn in his book, Heaven, you should read that. One of the things that he, he points out, he says, look, if you're standing, you know, here he's Northwest guy. So he says, I think in the new heavens, you'll still see Mount Hoods and Mount Adams. They're just going to be more glorious. Okay. They're going to be, and, and we see a re, I think what we're seeing here is a recreation, a, re, a restoration. You can live with your view of everything gets destroyed and you get a whole new planet. That's fine. Uh, it does impact the way you live, I think, sometimes. But um, I, I, modern t- uh, scholarship is not leaning that way, and I, I think it's probably a better translation. New heavens and a new earth. Um, we see this, um, there we go, uh, in Isaiah 65, verse 17. For behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth, and the former thing shall not be remembered or come to mind. Now you say, well, there you go, Dave. How are we going to remember uh, Mount Adams or whatever? He's talking about, very specifically, the negative things. Okay? When he's talking through Isaiah, he's talking about them coming back to the land. And so he's talking about what's going to be restored is you're not going to worry about that stuff anymore. Um, and uh, Isaiah 66.2, he says, For as the new heaven and the new earth I shall... Uh, remain before me, says the Lord, so you shall offer, um, and your, so your offspring and your name remain. So he's talking about this new heavens and new earth. For those of you who are ocean people, and you go, wait a minute, how come we don't get an ocean in heaven? Right? No yachts in heaven. <laughs> the ocean in the Old Testament often represented chaos and where sin came from. Think about where the beasts came out of in Revelation. They came out of the sea. Okay, and so what I think he's saying here is not that there won't be an ocean, per se, but that chaos and that evil will not be coming out of that. And so um, I think that's a metaphorical language there. I don't think we need to take that literally. Second verse, verse 2, And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Uh, the idea of Jerusalem as a bride, Isaiah uh, 52.1, Awake, awake! Put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Uh, it just says beautiful garments there, but the language is very much wedding garments. Okay, that's the beautiful garments that you are putting on. Um, in 61, verse 10, it says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has clothed me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, as a bride adorns herself with jewels. And so we have this idea of Jerusalem uh, being a bride. That's not new information. Uh, Verse 3, let me read it again. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be uh, with them as their God. Ezekiel 37, verse 27 My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they will be your people. And I'm just trying to show you this. You see that as as John is writing this, he's he's just quoting a whole bunch of the Old Testament here. He's just repeating it, and he wants you to see this as fulfillment of God's promises, not as some new information. Okay, Verse 4, I've heard this verse so many times. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Um, this verse is actually from Isaiah 25, 
uh, 8. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people will be taken away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Um, it's a beautiful picture. Um, I want to challenge you a little bit, those of you who are Bible scholars, just a little bit. Um, it's interesting to me, if we remember last week we talked about the millennium, uh, this verse comes after the millennium. I've always wondered about that. Why are the tears being wiped away? Why weren't they wiped away a thousand years ago? And it's, it's raised a lot of theological questions of what's going on in the millennium. Uh, will there still be a part of, of change happening and different things? But I, it's definitely here uh, afterwards. And so uh, I said at the very beginning of the series, I'm not giving you uh, a, a chart because what happens is every single scholar puts all their stuff in the chart, and there's about 15 verses that are left over that they don't know where to put. And for the millennials, the, for those of us who are pre-mailed, this is actually one of the verses where we go, I don't know where to put that. Okay? It's hard. And so, but anyway, we look forward to a time when God's going to wipe our, our tears away. Um, I, I don't know that he's literally going to, you know, wipe. I didn't love it when my grandmother, did you guys ever do this? She had something on your face, and, you, and when your, my grandmother would lick her thumb, and then she would wipe my face in this sandpaper motion with her thumb. I don't know if you ever experienced. So the idea, I don't know, I, like that feels a little odd to me. What is he saying? He's taking away your pain, right? It's a beautiful picture. Uh, verse 5. Um, and he was seated on the throne, said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And so uh, God is doing a new thing. Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. God's going to do something new. Okay? Um, I, uh, next one. He says, uh, and, and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty... I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Um, I, just, this didn't really uh, think of, most of us pay a water bill, right? Or at least pay to have our well serviced or something, okay? So the idea of free water, I'm like, eh, you know, that's nice, you know. Um, but I was reading Lamentations. Uh, those of you who are doing the full Bible reading from the Gospel Project, we did Lamentations. And, and the very end of Lamentations, Jeremiah is saying, oh, we've got to pay for water now. And we got to pay for our wood. We, like all these things that were free to us now under captivity, we have to pay for. And I, I think that Revelation is picking up on that. There's going to be a freedom in that. And, and so uh, we see that um, in uh, Isaiah 55, 19. Where am I? Is that right? Yeah. Um, Isaiah 55, 1, I think. Um, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat, come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. Do you imagine? I have to admit, like one of the dashboard lights that was on for me this week was finances. Does the light ever come up on yours? This sounds kind of appealing. Milk and wine, the same price. Okay? Right? There's no delivery issues right now. Right? We can actually get it. All right. Seven. Uh, he says, um, the one, to the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. 
Um, this is actually a repeated um, theme throughout Scripture. This is from uh, 2 Samuel uh, 7, verses 12 through 14. And um, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your father, speaking of David, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish uh, his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish a throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And so this language here, uh, we're talking about David is talking to Solomon, but he's also talking in the same breath about the Messiah who is God's son. And um, we have this repeated uh, language also in Hosea 11.1 where it says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Israel is called a son. The Messiah is called a son. You and I are called son. It's just all this father-son language that is coming through the Bible that's fulfilled in the last verse. And then finally, the purity of Jerusalem, which we read about more than once here. Uh, we saw it in Isaiah uh, 52, verse 1 earlier. Um, but let me just kind of read the end of Isaiah here. Um, when, when he puts this whole thing together, when he ends this whole story, which again is not about heaven when you're reading it in the Old Testament. It's about Jerusalem being restored. But he says at the very end, the last two verses, uh, last uh, three verses of, of Isaiah say this, For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From the new moon to the... Uh, to new moon. We just read there was no moon. Well, there, there, again, we have some imagery. From Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me, for their worm, for their worm shall not die, uh, and they shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence of all flesh. So there we have this idea of this separation, which we saw in this between the righteous and the unrighteous. And I just, I just want you to see, the teacher part of me wants you to see that all these things are just fulfillments. God is going to fulfill his word. And we actually see quite a bit more about heaven than we do about the other place. Um, and it should be as a hope to us. So moving a little quicker here. Hope in a God that loves us. Um, in fact, the picture here is of a bride and a husband. And, um, and, and I just, I was just sitting at my desk this week and I, I was thinking about, we, we've, talked about this imagery before as we're going through Revelation. We've talked about it in other places in the Bible. What can we learn from this imagery, right? A husband, and, and I just, just like in, in 30 seconds, I wrote down several things. I'm just like, here, here's some things you just think of when you're thinking of this. Number one, and we've talked about this already, preparation, right? We've talked about the bride is getting ready, right? She's going to put on her best. And, and we as a church should be some preparation. We should be getting ready. Um, there's imagery there that we're supposed to pick up on. The second, purity. The church should be pure. God's people should be pure. Now, we are, that, we are that because we're all sinners, but we're purified by the blood of the Lamb, which we sang about this morning, right? Um, and we're purified in that. That's, that's, that's where the purity comes from. But that doesn't mean we just sit and do nothing either. It means that we cooperate with the Holy Spirit in that. Another thing that is repeated in this, these verses over and over again is presence, and I, I know that I spell that, that word wrong all the time, and we've been talking about this. And so I looked it up, and I just, this is what I'm trying to say. The state or fact of existing, occurring, or being present in a place or thing. This whole passage is about God being present with us. And I said it last week. If you want heaven and you're not thinking about Jesus, you're thinking about the other place. Because this is all about being present with God, the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. 
It's the idea of walking with God in the cool of the evening. Again, it's, it's, it's about seeing him and being, and being with him. That's, that's what this is all about. Okay, you don't get married and then at the end of the wedding say, I don't know, should we schedule a time to get back together, you know, next, right? No, you leave together. I mean, you, that's it, forever and ever, okay? That's, you, you're present with them. And that's, that's what this imagery is supposed to be. Like, you're going to get married, and you're going to be together forever and ever and ever and ever. That, that's, the, that's the picture here. The other, thing, the other word that came up in my mind, and, and just, just walk with me here for a second, is possibilities. You don't get married and go, oh, I don't think this is going to work out too well. I mean, wait, maybe you do later, right? But, but on that day, you're like going, this is going to be great. This is going to be awesome, and we're... This is going to, we're going to do all these things, and I can't wait to do this, and this is going to be exciting, right? And hopefully that idea of, oh, no, doesn't come to way later, right? And, but, but when you're getting married, the possibilities are, what is, this is exciting. What is this going to be like? I mean, your, your heart is beating a little bit faster on your wedding day. You're, you're excited. You're not like going, oh, gosh, I hate weddings, right? You, that's not the idea here. You're going into this, like, what are the possibilities? And that's one of the great things I love by Randy Alcorn's book, you should read it, um, is because he, he, he just goes through all these different things. We, we, I can't remember, I was talking with somebody after the service last week. He, ha- he had a chapter on, will there be coffee in heaven? Or at least a little section, okay? And, and he's a Northwest guy. So, and, and he has this little, I can't remember his points, but you're like, is it immoral? No. Okay? Can, can it be enjoyed in a, in a, in a good way? Yes, it's, then why won't it be in heaven? Okay? I mean, some of you might have to take a break from it for a while, but, you know, I, there's no reason why we can't have a good cup of coffee. I don't, there's no such thing, but David Revis and I will be drinking tea, but otherwise you guys can be drinking coffee. Okay? But you go into marriage, with, what are the possibilities? This is exciting. And then what happens after a wedding? Party. Get your minds. Party! There's a party afterwards. That's what this picture is. There's a celebration. There's a party. And at at the wedding, when two people are are standing face to face, and the pastor goes through all the words that he, what are they doing? They are making a promise. They're making a promise. A covenant. So why does God use all this imagery? Preparation, purity, his presence, possibilities, party. We could go on and on. There's all sorts of things. And so just time out for one second, those of you who are married. Your marriage exists to point people to God. Your marriage is meant to show something beyond just your love for one another. Your marriage is to teach something about God. We're supposed to be learning in our marriage and pointing people to God's love. One of the overarching stories of the Bible is God's love for his bride and how he pursues them and gets them and and what he goes through to, to, to capture his bride. Your marriage is supposed to point to um, the commitment that God has to his people. Commitment. 
obviously to purity. Uh, that imagery has been used over and over again. And, and, and I would also say this, and let me just challenge you a little bit, but our marriage should be pointing to purpose. The point of marriage, and I know that we live in a fallen world, the point of marriage is not to fulfill your needs. Okay? The point of marriage is not to make you happy. Don't, don't anybody amen that one. Uh, I was like, oh no, pull up, pull up, don't say it, right? We work together to raise a family for the glory of God. As a church, we work with Jesus Christ to fulfill his purpose in this world. And then finally, and I've kind of danced with it a little bit, but I'm going to say it anyway. Sorry, purpose. The last one is passion. And I, you know, we struggle with that, especially in a society that's taken that way into bad places. But some would say Song of Solomon and all that's in there is to point to how much God loves us. And the idea of, of passion and even sexual desire is supposed to remind us of God's passion and desire for us. And so when we look at this picture, I want you to see just as we look at ourselves and we know that we're sinners and that we fall short and, and all the things you know, we, we question, I do, we question, you know, did I do enough? Did I, you know, um, you know what, what could I have done wrong? And and, uh, you know, what, what could I have done better and all these things. And as a time, as a pastor that's transitioning out, you know, I certainly have asked myself that question several times. And, uh, and somebody asked me a question and said something to me uh, just about the transition. And, I, and I, I won't tell you what the question was or what the statement was. But I, I answered by saying, you know what? I've come to this conclusion. And I've said this before. In my 12 plus years here, I've made some mistakes. And through God's strength, I've also done some good things. Both are true. I have news for you. The same will be true of your next pastor. And it's really fun to point out my mistakes because we, we can find another pastor who doesn't make those mistakes. But he's going to make other mistakes. And so when we do that, we, we start to go, man, I, you know, I, I start to feel for myself. And I think some of you, like, I'm, you know, kind of be entering into heaven, you know, kind of like, my name on there? Oh, good. Okay. You know, like, snuck in, right? You know, like, don't look again. I made it. You know, I'll just kind of move to the back of the, the chorus line. I don't like to sing anyway, right? I made it in. I'm here. That's not the picture of Revelation at all. The picture is that God is so excited to see you. He is so passionately in love with you that he can't wait to spend eternity with you. And I know that the world wants to picture God sitting up there just can't wait to judge everybody. But what the picture of Revelation is, is that he can't wait to receive those who have followed him. He is so passionately in love with you. He can't wait to see you. And Sometimes we reverse it, and I, I do too. right? I can't wait to see that person. I can't wait to see that person. And I think, I know, I mean, I can't wait to sit with my grandfather again. Right? I mean, we, we picture those things. But do you understand? You're like 
it's like being at a wedding, and it's true, right? Like, you're at a wedding, and you go, man, I haven't seen, I haven't seen Uncle Tom and, you know, whatever, John, I haven't seen them in years. I can't wait to see them. But you don't stand up there while you're waiting for the bride to come down going, I'll tell you my experience. When the doors opened in the back and my wife stepped in, I didn't see anybody else. There was nobody else in the room. Why is God using that imagery? Because when you step in, the creator of the universe pictures you like a bride coming down the aisle. Now, I'm telling you, and if, if some of you did this, I, I mean, I can't, I've never heard this story, but I didn't go, oh, I wish she would have done her hair differently. Right? She chose those shoes, really? No, I mean, none of that was in my head. And God is not, not, God is not looking at you and saying, oh, man, they just barely made it in. I'm not saying that. I, just, I want you to see this morning. God loves you so much. Can't wait to greet you. Um, we have hope in a God that brings recovery. As the dashboards of my light and my lights were coming on this week, uh, verse seven came to mind. Uh, excuse me, verse verse four came to mind. Um, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Why, why does he have to? Why does he point out these words? Mourning, crying, pain, because they they represent different things. Like we cry for different reasons. We cry because the loss of somebody who died. We cry for the loss of relationship when somebody hurts us. We cry for the loss of things when they're gone. We we cry for the pain when we stub our toe. We I mean all those things like. We, we cry when we see people we love suffering, like all these pains. And what, and what John is saying is that wrongs will be righted. When God wipes away the tears, he's not like, he's, this isn't a, they're there now. You know, sometimes, you know, I, I have three daughters. Sometimes they call me. They're all upset, and the end of the world is happening. I don't know why they called me. They're there now. It's going to be okay. I mean, sometimes I, I don't know what to do. Life is hard. I had news for you. It's not going to get any easier. You don't get summer vacations anymore. That's why I told you. No. I, right? But there's things. In the end, wrongs will be righted. He's not just wiping around the tears and saying, no, he's, things are going to be righted. Loss will be restored. Loss will be restored. I don't know how he's going to do it, but that's what this verse is saying. And then finally, and, I, and some of you need to hear this this morning, pain will be released. I know some of you are living with pain. And, you, and you're like, what? Ah, it hurts. Okay? I get it. But forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, you will not feel that. 
Now, in all the things that were going on this week, there was, in my life, there were some good things going on too. And part of that was uh, my good friend Steve that prayed this morning. Uh, his wife and kids are traveling, so we played a lecture golf this week. And that was wonderful. Um, but I could feel it a little bit. And my back is saying, why did you play so much golf this week? And uh, Steve, uh, I would, he went and played the next day, and I'd be like, no, no, I need a few days off before I can play with you again. Man, what's it going to be like to, to have a young, healthy body again, right? kind of neat. It's kind of a neat thought. As I squint to, to see some faces out there, right? Pain will be released. And then finally, hoping to God that makes all things new. That's very clearly in these first eight verses is being repeated throughout the end. And what I love about it is this is something we are reading is a future event. And God says to John, it's done. It's done. Well, it is and not yet, right? We're not there yet. But this is, this is a done deal. This is going to happen. And it's satisfying. Um, it, you just have this picture of this new things, and it's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, and these springs of water. And look, yes, we're talking about, yes, there's going to be water to drink in heaven. Yay, yay for that. But more than that, what's he talking about? He's talking about refreshing. And he's talking about things that are satisfying and good. And pleasant. It's going, to be, it's going to be delightful. It's just, it's just going to be a, a great environment in which to spend eternity with the King of Kings. So why are these here? These are to give you hope. And we're to live, and we've been saying this all through Revelation, the point is that we're to live with the end in mind. And, and our application is we strive to conquer we strive as a church to, to overcome. We strive as individuals to live out all we are in the spirit of, of Jesus. We, we, we want to we do all those things that he's laid out for us in advance to do. We want to conquer. We want to uh, get rid of sin and the, and the temptation. All these things we've been encouraged over and over again to strive to conquer. And it's the ones who conquer, verse 7, who will have this heritage. It doesn't say the ones who survive. It says the ones who conquer. I mean, there's a different picture there, right? I mean, he could have used a different word. The idea here is conquer. And so we need to strive to stay on mission. I, look, I, I just want to say this. Like if, if this comes down to those who are written in the book of life and those who are not, I want to see as many people written in that book as possible. Like, look, heaven is an awesome place. I'm going to spend it with as many people as possible. Don't worry. There's not going to be a rental shortage in heaven. God's gone to prepare a place. He knows how many people are going to be there. But we need to stay on mission. And I hope, I hope this series in Revelation, I hope for all of us, that it just brings you to a different place of worship. And we talked about last week just the glory of God. And, and we, we talk about it's done. We can talk about the sovereignty of God. We can talk about his love for us. We can talk about... Um, his, his pursuit, all these things come up for us in Revelation, and it should just cause us to worship God. And here's why that's important. When life is difficult, when you're in pain, when you're struggling, financially, emotionally, spiritually, whatever it is, I don't know about you, but I, I tend to start to look at the problem. 
And it's, it's like metaphorically like I'm walking just looking at all the rocks in the path. And after a while, that's all I can see. Dirt and rocks and stuff in my way. And when I look at Revelation and I see the glory of God and I lift my head in worship, it gives me a totally different view. And I hope that this series is just, man, I just want to keep my eyes on the king and I want to keep going regardless of what's in front of me because God is good and he loves me and he has this awesome place where I get to spend eternity with him. Let's pray. God, we do pray that you'd be glorified in our lives, that we would conquer, that we would stay on mission because you are good and because you love us. God, I pray for those who are here, who are listening, who are struggling emotionally, physically, spiritually, God, that you would, you would encourage them this morning because you are a God that is good and a God that loves them. And I pray that you would just keep them focused on you. God, I pray as a church, God, that in this transition, God, you'd be glorified. I pray that in this transition, God, that your kingdom would come. God, I pray that, I pray that your will would be done, or that will is for us to fulfill the things that you've called us to do. To obey you. And so God, I pray that we would just keep our eyes on you, regardless of our circumstances, and that you'd be glorified. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.